0: All right. We are live. What's up, Michael Furtick? It's so happy to have you join us. Thank you, y'all. I'm very glad I'll, to be here. Yeah, me too. So we actually got uh, connected. I uh, I did a I did a, a live or an interview with my friend uh, Akiva Gersh, who's the vegan rabbi. And um, someone reached out to me and said, you got to interview Michael. And so he made the introduction. And the first thing I did, like everything else I do, is I pulled up your LinkedIn page. And I was like, Oh my God, I absolutely not just must speak to Michael. I must do a LinkedIn live with him. Mm -hmm. So first I'd like to know uh, a little bit about you, what you do professionally, and we'll go into that. You're an author. You wrote a really cool book that I want to learn more about that takes place in Tel Aviv. Um, but first and foremost, as a LinkedIn marketer and as many of my audiences on LinkedIn and we're doing a LinkedIn live, how did you get that little LinkedIn influencer logo? You know, okay. Well, I don't know,
1: actually. I, I, uh, the, the divinities of social media are hard to predict. I, I don't recall exactly how I got it. I, I think I was one of the first 50 or hundred LinkedIn influencers. This is already whatever eight years ago, 10 years ago, something like that. And I'm not sure I got no, how I got nominated or how I got knighted, you know, anointed. Um, but as a result, I do have um, a lot of followers on LinkedIn. I think it's 134,000 something. But the the difference is- who's counting? Well, I just checked because we were talking about it right before our broadcast, so I just checked. The The thing about it is I think they're mostly, we're almost all humans, right? LinkedIn seems to have, I mean, there are definitely some bots on LinkedIn and stuff and some fake people, but I think that the vast majority of people on LinkedIn um and followers are real humans whereas i'm not sure that's true on a twitter or on a facebook i think twitter and facebook are um far more infested by bots and stuff um uh, yeah. So, you don't so have and on yeah it's cool i mean what i post on linkedin sometimes sometimes people um really pay attention and amplify it and talk about it and react a lot and sometimes <laughs> they don't sometimes they don't i mean it's hard to tell exactly what what catches the the eyes of people but i i'm pretty
0: active on linkedin awesome Great um, so you have no idea how you got it, so I, you, you can't I reached out to LinkedIn five years ago and I was like, "How do I got that influencer thing I uh-huh. really want to know and uh, I reached out to like every single one of my contacts independently, and yeah. then they got back to me and they're like, "We know you're all asking us independently This is several years ago
1: because <laughs> they yeah, all speak. I, I don't know I don't know why, I don't know why the, the companies that do this are so mysterious about about this maybe it gives them room to maneuver and decide you know what's, you know what's in their Within their parameters and what's not, I just don't know. I don't know. And once once LinkedIn sold to Microsoft, that's probably another set of rules and all that.
0: Oh God! I mean, to be honest, they weren't much better before. Uh, <laughs> okay. But okay, well, okay, okay, cool. So. Uh... Great. So anyway, so what we have here, so you're in California and you're a v, right? You're involved in the VC world, right? And you talk about technology a lot in Israel and you're very familiar with the tech scene in greater Tel Aviv or, um, and in Israel. I'd like to get a better idea maybe from you, possibly. Um, what is it? How did you end up in becoming a VC, doing VC venture capitalism, one? And then what is your connection to Israel and Israeli technology in particular?
1: Okay. There's a lot there and I'm happy we have a lot of time, so I'm happy to take it step by step. Um, Let's come back to my, my history of Israel in a second, but suffice to say right now that I have a great passion for Israel. I am an overt Zionist and I talk about my interest in Israel. I talk about my Zionism openly and um, frequently. And we'll we'll will we'll come back to how I got there if you if you want from a family way and a personal history way, uh, in a second. I kind of retired in 2015 ish, and uh, from from a long haul of being an entrepreneur, chiefly a founder of tech startups, and uh, the kind of the, the the tech startup that that many people will have heard of that i sort of retired into an executive chairman role from the ceo job uh it's called reputation now called reputation used to be called reputation.com before that was called reputation defender but um anyway suffice it to say reputation and and i was deciding in my life for a few reasons what to do next <clears throat> in about 2014-15 and I realized that one of the things I wanted from the next chapter of my life, the next say 10 years, God willing, uh, starting around 2015, was a more regular connection and more frequent connection to Israel. I've been living in California and I had been traveling Israel for personal reasons and, and some professional reasons over the years, but I wanted to do more with Israel. And there are a few ways to do that. There's, you can live there, which I did not think was going to be likely in my near term future for a few reasons. You can give uh, philanthropically to Israeli institutions um, and so forth, or you can be involved in business. For example, there are many ways, right? You have many ways to, to do that. And I decided that I was going to explore being involved in a business way in Israel. And I at the same time was thinking about switching my focus from daily entrepreneurship to more active venture investing. And as an entrepreneur at the time, I had been only in, high tech. Since then, I have become also a life sciences uh, entrepreneur, uh, thankfully, um, with good news. But I decided to uh, look at Israel and then look at investing at the same time. And so what came out of that was what is called heroic ventures, which is which is my venture fund. Um, It's heroic VC. And we invest basically only in Silicon Valley in Israel. And part of the thesis of how we invest, part of where when we want to invest and so forth, was formed based on a series of trips I took with a lot of frequency starting at the end of 14 into 15, um, looking for certain kinds of deals, realizing that wasn't really what I was supposed to be doing and then modifying and evolving my plan and then investing in Israel. So what we try to do in a, in a nutshell, what I try to do in a nutshell is I try to be the first investor, um, meaning in the very first financing, you know, either before or with your friends and family, um, in, in Israeli, uh, startup. And I, and I try to actually be there before the Israelis and I can tell you, (laughs) I can tell you why if you want. Um, uh, and then, and then in the last, you know, five, six years, it's gone very well, thank God. And I can tell you about that. If you want some of the name brand companies of Israel are now in the portfolio. Um, Including uh, Sunbit, including Next Silicon, including Sentinel One, which is now a very large public company. Uh, I can tell you about how we got into those and so forth. Yeah, I'm
0: actually really curious. It's fascinating. Happy
1: to uh, and and thank God it's been very good. And and then the Israeli VC landscape has changed very fast. I mean, much faster than the American one. Um, why is that? Over the last few years, why is that? Um, well, if you look around the parking lot. Uh, around the world in, in high-tech, set aside life sciences for a second. If you look around high-tech, there are, in terms of exits, billion-dollar-plus exits, not valuations, there are so many unicorns now, um, there are they're kind of 10 to 15-ish billion-plus exits per year in Silicon Valley, and there are another few per year around America somewhere, and that number is growing. But all of America combined is a few more per year, basically. And then the Silicon Valley about 10 to 12, and that'll shift as, 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 as the tides shift around America. If you look around China, it's at a different ecosystem, a closed world, yeah, it's got its own, India, relatively similar. Um, Europe has, you know, one to two per year, maybe two to three per year now. And Israel has one to two per year. So Israel <laughs> basically, has as many exits of that size per year as Europe, right? Continental Europe plus the UK. And it's probably, you know, a little on the margin, a little more in Europe, but I mean, we're talking about a very tiny country versus a very large continent. Um, and I think that's the number one reason there's more investment coming to Israel. <clears throat> when there's more investment coming to Israel, there's good exits. Um, you're gonna have a changing landscape, that's one. The second thing is that there are more guys like, me coming to israel so americans with american style term sheets um israeli vc historically recently has been a lot probably more similar to the way american vc was 20 years ago and the way vc is in europe or in other parts of the world the term sheets are tougher the terms are tougher for the entrepreneurs and then once you have a number of investors come from america who are interested in investing in Israeli startups, the pressure changes. So the the, 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 the standard term sheet goes from a little tougher to a little kinder, um, more pro-entrepreneur, more pro-founder, and then the local VCs are going to respond in kind. And then a lot of the Israeli entrepreneurs, that's the second reason, a lot of the Israeli entrepreneurs, third reason I'd say, have had successes now. And so they can self-fund for the first million, two million, three million of their company. And then they can afford to go straight to the American VCs, skipping the Israeli VCs. And as a result, the Israeli VCs say, hey, look, we want to play harder, we want to get into these deals, and we don't want to be skipped, so we're going to raise larger funds and and, and invest more money uh, instead of trying to invest half a million or a million. They might invest two to five million and pay higher term higher prices and higher valuations. <laughs> So they're responding, and then and then the funds are getting bigger, which is ancillary to so the third reason, and they're investing more. So uh, because they have to invest the money that they're raising. So it, there's a there's a there's a lot of stuff going on, um, and then the formula for the successful Israeli startup has become more clearly defined. And this will this will shift right over time. But um, basically, right now. The 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 way you're a successful the most the modal when we say the modal Israeli startup that's successful is probably something like an enterprise facing SaaS company that is that builds its technology in Israel and sells only in the U.S.
0: Right. The um, uh, we have a handful of clients like that, so yeah.
1: we know very well. Yeah, and there's some exceptions. I mean, look, I mean, you know, Sunbit's a a consumer facing product, but their customers are car dealerships and places that are really enterprises. So. So I guess they may not be an exception, and then and then of course cyber cyber is so you think that cyber would be a solved problem by now, but of course it's not. <laughs> and,
0: do you think it's Do you think there's a bubble? Because I speak to a lot, the majority of our clients are cybersecurity clients. Uh, so and we have a lot of cybersecurity technology startups within our agency, and I speak to some of my clients, and they think that many people think that there's a bubble. I don't think so. I think it's a wave, if anything, sure. but like because like we're playing like. I think enterprises are playing catch up with their vulnerabilities. Um, but do you think um, I mean so many companies are getting funding that don't have revenue? And I think the CEO of Checkpoint said something recently um, regarding the fact that he thinks that there's uh, a bubble. Uh, I don't believe him because I think it's very easy for larger organizations to you know what I mean to kind of make it harder for those up and coming and their competitors. I, I think it's just human nature. So, uh, you know, I take it with a grain of salt, but I do agree that there's an insane amount. Do you think we'll continue to see this kind, um, this amount? And do you think it's a bubble or do you think it's just a wave? Amount of what? Um, Amount of cybersecurity companies that are getting, that are getting insane amount of funding, particularly I'm seeing before pre-revenue.
1: So cyber, so let's talk about cyber sort of second, and let's talk about the The kind of the bubble of tech now, if there's a bubble in tech now. So um, on the one hand, technology is sort of eating the world, right? So the large back of the global economy, from construction to uh, housing to uh, healthcare to automotive is now being upended by new technology companies, aviation, right? So, uh, in that sense, sort of technology is going to be taking a lot of the the GDP and eating it. Um, and then also a lot of the GDP is growing, right? The GDP is also growing, thank God, globally. Um, so those are two trends that suggest that, that that tech will be favored over time. That's sort of statement one. Statement two is our valuations higher. And so you start with the public markets and a lot of the public commentary, I'm not a public securities person, but a lot of the public commentary, this is easy for you to research yourself, says that uh, multiples of earnings and so forth are at uh, historic or a historic highs, uh, or only a few times in the past has this ever happened. Um, and then and then that trickles down to the you know, to the private markets. And, you know, I'm seeing companies that are that are you know at tens of millions of 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 revenue run rate getting billions of dollars of valuation and um run by some pretty questionable people in some cases and i think like diligence is just not happening the way it used to be and uh or maybe it should the velocity of money is increasing some of the great late stage funds are doing you know two deals a week or five deals a week at a billion plus valuation so there's just a lot of velocity third the amount of money that's been printed, um,
0: in the last 20 years I, I heard 60% of all U S dollars were printed last year.
1: Something like that. Right. And like was so like, that's gotta go somewhere. Whoa. So, so, right. so, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you believe that gas is, you know, at the pump, it has an 8% or whatever inflation. Well, you know what you would imagine that there'd be some huge inflation in other parts of the market like tech and, of course a higher rate of inflation it seems um but so there's a there's a kind of inflationary pressure that's happening because all this dollars all this money has to go somewhere and and you can't put in the bank I mean, this is not financial advice but the average person might say look i get you know 0.5 percent interest rate at their bank account why would i i don't think anyone
0: says that trying something what i don't think anyone says i'm going to park my cash in the bank because
1: and then and then you know these things sort of bubble up to these valuations. So, so, and then if you have a larger venture fund, right, if you have a, if your venture fund today is $700 million, whereas five years ago, your last fund was $100 million, you have to put 7x more money to work. And so you might be a little more loosey-goosey in your decision-making. You might want to spend more per investment. Um, so, Valuations are high. And, and then the question is, when does this bubble? So, yes, from a valuation perspective, yes, I think we're in a bubble. And when does this end is anyone's question. Some of the smart people I know but, think that the Fed is going to let this party go till at least 2024. Some people think that inflation. Yeah, will be I don't think
0: I don't see the Fed getting involved at all. I think they keep kicking that can down the road. And I feel like it might be partly political, like it's not in their political interest to have this bubble burst on them. It's well, the Fed's certain, certainly,
1: it. certainly a reasonable thing to suspect. Right. But you, it's anyone's guess. You and I can agree. And, and, and then is it, is it, does inflation then get chased by deflation? You know, could there be God forbid some kind of war or something could Poland be, right. and, you know, erupt, could Taiwan erupt? God forbid, who knows? So, so there's a kind of a, a tough situation in terms of, yes, I do think there's a bubble now in terms of cyber and Israel in particular, um, you know, I think my, my my macro comment about the the tech thing I just made. Now the micro comment about cyber in, in Israel in particular. There is a uh, practice, an investing event style that has emerged only in the last two three years, in which the, the the a bunch of funds that basically just do this move or primarily do this move, this is their raison d'etre, this is why they exist, look at a team, and often a very, very good team in cyber in Israel and say, our first investment, based on your PowerPoint deck or whatever, meaning no product, no prototype, is gonna be five to $6 million on a kind of a 10 to $15 million pre-money valuation. And we're seeing that happen in in cyber a lot, and that's now bleeding over into SaaS. that is not cyber explain to me I, how does I,
0: that how does that bleed over to SAS? well oh, i want to tell you
1: why so i so i i I'm, i just met as for example with two just terrifically good cyber guys um and they're doing a consumer business not cyber and they have they have almost no history between the two of them in consumer they have a great history both together and separately in cyber and Shonim time and other office of the prime minister and all the other places like this that are very special. But I suspect and I haven't asked them this directly, but I will soon, I suspect that one of the reasons they don't want to do cyber is they know that it's overhyped, but what's interesting is they want basically, they came to me with basically the same valuation perspective. They have no product. They only have a deck they want like five on 15, 20 posts. So they want the cyber. Hype in sa- in consumer, even though they're not consumer guys. So, so this you see this movie a lot. Where people are like, oh yeah, my field is saturated. Let me go to this other field I don't know about, but at the same problem that and, is and... evidenced by the saturation, you know, as manifest through valuations from the field that I'm from. So I think it's I think it's going to bleed over, but cyber in particular in Israel, I do believe is very exciting. You have Sentinel One. Uh, which I'm very, very proud to own, a, you know, a lot, um, thank God, through my fund and so forth. Um, you know, it's just blowing the doors off of valuations, the largest cyber IPO ever and so forth. So there's going to be a lot that chases that and validates it. Prior to Sentinel-1, a lot of the cyber exits kind of topped out at $200, $400 million, which by the way is a lot of money, right? But but it's not
0: 4 or $5 billion, which is what- It, you're used, to, it used to be a lot of money. <laughs>
1: it's a lot of money. So, <laughs> I know, so, joking.
0: Joke.
1: Yeah, so there you are. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, so anyway, I think, uh, that that's where we are. So I, I think, I think there is in fact a bubble going on, but, but on one hand long may continue on the other hand, you know, we have to be careful, we have to be careful. We have to be careful what we're looking for. And also when there is a bubble, your valuation decisions become even more important because If you if if the company raises so much money at a very high price, and the and the bubble bursts, if that should that happen, then the the markets become very unkind, and the next financing can be a significant down round or so forth. So, um, Mm. okay. So anyway, there you are. That's my answer.
0: Got it. All right. So, but you said you think so. You're it's definitely a lot going on. Whether it's a wave or a bubble, you seem to be. Uh, not so sure either if I were able to try to. No, in, I, no I, think,
1: I, think, I think it's a valuation bubble. I mean, let me know. An, an ev- evaluation
0: bubble, way. they're overvaluing. But yeah, you do think these companies I mean, I think, are. I
1: think the, the, the software eating the world will continue. I mean, I, you know, I think that that's what our tech eating the world will continue. Right? I mean, the, the NASDAQ will, will, I mean, just using it as a symbol, I mean, I guess seven One's on the New York Stock Exchange, so it's not necessarily a great symbol, but something that we might call the NASDAQ will continue to eat more of the
0: world, probably. Yeah, yeah, that Let doesn't mess. surprise Let me. Guess. me. Huh? That doesn't that doesn't surprise me. Well, what do you look for in uh, startups? Say, uh, that you would consider investing. Do you find how much is is the technology? How much is it? Would you say is the founders? Of course, it's an all above approach. Um, what, what exactly do you? What are the main things that you consider um, that you would say? differentiates you from other people in your industry when you consider a uh, cybersecurity or a technology company for investment?
1: Well, you know, if you go around my office, I'll start with something funny. If you go around my office and you ask the team, uh, whether the, t- the team member is Israeli or American or Chinese, whatever like extraction, um, whatever, you know, language is natively spoken in my office, I say, what's the number one reason not to invest in an Israeli startup? And they'll all answer the same question, they'll all answer that question the same way if they have a single Israeli pilot. Uh, and of course, I'm not talking about Air Force pilots. that's a plus. I'm talking about like a pilot with an Israeli customer. I, I think um, well, it's 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 pretty much disqualifying. It's not universally disqualifying. It was pretty much disqualifying. It, the 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 best way I think to succeed in Israel almost always, and this is a this is a game of averages, right? This is not Obviously. Of hard rules, but the, the averages produce rules that are rules of thumb or guidelines or hard rules, depending is, is if your company is selling to Israeli customers, it'll probably just not be an important company. And, uh, it may be what you want to do. It may be what's best for you and your lifestyle, but it's just not going to be a global company. It's not going to be an important startup in terms of financial outcome, in terms of size, um, Israeli customers are very demanding. They can just basically eat you alive and they don't pay a lot and there's no advantage to selling to them, right? So Israeli, uh, Israel has a terrific profile, right? You have entrepreneurs who speak enough English for a lot of English. You have entrepreneurs who have ready access to America and you can build in Israel and sell in America. It's no longer much cheaper to build in Israel. It is still cheaper to build in Israel. Than it is in silicon valley but it's not cheaper to build your technology in israel than it is to build it in other parts of the united states but selling in america is very very important um, and i would say selling in america to the exclusion of most other places in the world the exclusion of europe or asia at least at first and if you can prove yourself there then you're off to the races so that's the one sort of funny part in terms of what i look for so we i invest really early i, mean, I invest in. In in team and TAM, so the the, the team who are building the company and their total addressable market size. Those are the two things I probably care about most, probably most of the time. And um, that means I'm not looking at product market fit. So once a company has attained product market fit, it's often too late for us. (laughs) It's often too expensive for us and we can't do it. and there are a thousand Series A or Series B funds that are looking to grab those deals. Uh, we're betting on the on the people and on the size of the market. And if you if you have software margins and you have great people and you're going after a big market and you're you're good entrepreneurs, then it's, then then you have a pretty darn good chance of getting an outcome that's 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 venture worthy. That's exciting. So that's uh, that's what I look for.
0: Uh, outside, what is um... So people talk about like, you know, Israel startup nation, so on and so forth. But from your perspective as a Californian, um, what do people actually, what do people see from the, uh, what do people like, what is their perspective of Israel in general for, let's say those that have never been here like you have? Uh,
1: You know, I, I think
0: from the technology standpoint, are they, is it do they see it as startup nation like we do? You know, we all see ourselves certainly. And and then the way we're seen from the outside. Yeah. The thing of Israel is a
1: very special place. You know, I think that if you're talking about uh, most people, most places are not very political. Mm -hmm. And I think you're asking a non-political question. So that's correct. (laughs) Most people, you know, you, you would, you would find who are interested in something called tech, let's say. So that's already a small number of people relative to the, to the total population, are not going to have uh, useful or interesting or, or strongly felt opinions about Israel as a, as a state or as a political project. Um, instead, they're going to have some lightly held opinions about those topics at all, if at all, or they're going to have lightly held opinions about um, about Israel as a startup Place and for sure, the, the opinions about Israel as a startup place are going to be extremely positive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, an you know, extremely high density of remarkable entrepreneurs and companies. of I think, 40,000 Israelis or something like that in Silicon Valley, for example. Um, very, you know, very uh, hard working people, entrepreneurial, so very favorable opinions maybe a little more cyber than the other than you know than france or something like that but right but very very positive uh and and deservedly so uh deservedly so yeah i would say i'd say it's very very positive and by the way i mean i i find that i find i mean to be sure i find that also true in the other parts of the middle east i i have visited and visit and where i spend time virtually now or in person uh before coronavirus right there's an extremely positive attitude towards israel as a tech place uh, correct and, you know even before the abraham accords in the uae and in saudi and the kingdom i mean so um you know it, it, so so even even in the traditional uh,
0: in egypt increasing now also i i've started to notice see some things down like you can read the grape leaves, like of the grapevine kind of you're starting to feel. They're talking about water technology and all of that. Um, so it's actually kind of fascinating, especially with the the dams being built of the Nile. Um, it's like stopping water flow to uh, Egypt. Uh, so uh, right, Ari, right, I think yeah?
1: I think you're making a. I don't know much about it about Egypt and Israel together in the in the in the tech interchange, but but to be sure, ag tech. And mm-hmm. you could include that in that water tech is going to be a place where Israel has been a world leader since well before the tech boom, right? Since the days Correct. of the
0: uh, And us in the West aren't so familiar with it because we feel like, you know, we turn on the water, we've all the water. We, we don't have the we don't have the water challenges. We, I mean, let's say Western Europe and the Uni- North America that let's say Israel, the Middle East and Northern Africa often have. So it's it's very important the agriculture technology and water technology. Um, so we have a question from Ari Khan. Uh, what do you think about property technology, the proper prop tech industry in Israel, if you have an opinion?
1: Yeah. So prop tech is a phrase and thank you, uh, to Ari Khan, um, the question prop tech can be used to mean real estate facing technology, or it can be property management technology, uh, companies, usually it's mean it's used to mean, um, startups that are either trying to sell or commercialize real estate differently or manage real estate differently or capitalize real estate differently um and so if he has a if he has a, a particular subset of that that he wants to ask about i'm happy to answer it but broadly speaking i we do have exposure to prop tech or real estate tech in israel
0: again is that a growing industry in general huh? is that is that a growing industry because i don't hear it Spoken about as prop tech, but I do come by. I do come by a lot of technology within, you know, real estate and real estate management uh, pretty regularly.
1: Yeah, some people call it prop tech. I mean, maybe already means something else, but that's what I, that's kind of normally what I've.
0: No, said. I looked at his LinkedIn profile, so that is what he means. Prop tech.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> yeah. So, so look, I, we do have exposure to prop tech in Israel. Again, I think that on average my personal opinion is that on average by far uh, an israeli prop tech company that has any customers in israel is doing it wrong um and that that is doing anything in israel apart from building a startup and having mm. a team is doing it wrong israel is just such a tiny country with a tiny gdp and right. you know building your product there and then focusing on u.s Residential U.S. commercial or multifamily MRE multifamily residential real estate uh, seems like a better bet. Maybe there's some reason to do it in Europe, but my guess is again Israel to U.S. is a great advantage. You know, and and you know you have a lot of um, you have a lot of real estate families in, in in executives in the United States, many of whom are Jewish or Jewishly affiliated, who are interested in Israel, who who. Take an interest in Israeli startups and so forth, um, and Israeli success who want to modernize, contemporize their portfolios and their investments, and are using their balance sheets also to assist these companies if they can, maybe sometimes helpfully, maybe sometimes not. So, I I do think you have a kind of a a bit of a built in potential advantage. I don't want to say something that's too Mm -hmm. solid because you can never you can never know how people actually behave. And at the end of the day, the company has to perform.
0: Are there any uh, VC funds around property tech? Yeah, sure, there are many. There, there's space for it? All right, there you go. Uh, well, all there, right.
1: there, there are VC funds in the property area in, in the United States, and um, they're easy to find, they're easy to find. I, 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 don't particularly, uh, I don't particularly, in general, there must be exceptions, and I can probably think of one or two, but in general, I don't think that vertically integrated or vertically focused, Venture funds are historically successful um, on average compared to mm-hmm. other venture funds, which are. It's also an, a tough asset class for the non-focused, non-vertically focused venture funds. But yeah, there are there are uh, VC funds that focus on on that vertical, and and there will be more. And and then there are also corporate venture funds in in real estate that that focus on on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on the BC the focus
0: on real estate. So uh speaking of real estate, so the Tel Aviv, I mean I the, the, the price of real estate in Tel Aviv is insane. Uh-huh. Um and things have really uh, um the prices I mean in all of Israel has really gone up like radically. Um let's talk about that for a second.
1: Let's talk about that for a second yeah. so, you know so here you know uh I don't want to make too much of it and it's it sounds kind of fancy but but in some sense in some sense it is but but not to make too much of it. So, I spent the last couple summers with my family in Sonoma. We rented a house and like a, in a vineyard, and has you know vineyard attached to it or whatever, and very pretty. And I say I say to myself, and you know, I said, why can't we do this in Israel? Like you know, there's coronavirus, right? But 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 ex coronavirus, why couldn't you just have a beautiful place with a vineyard and so forth, and a beautiful place to spend time with your family in Israel? and so many kind of maher jewish guys and, and their families would do that right and um, and then so i called some i called some law firms that do real estate in israel and i quickly found out some of the major obstacles so israel like something at like 97% of the land outside of tel aviv and jerusalem is owned by the state
0: 93 and 93%, 93%. Percent. and then and they own
1: these kind of 50 year leases or 25 year leases or whatever yep,
0: 50. 50 i have one
1: <laughs> okay okay and then you know so many denims or whatever and then they do these auction lots and then you have to you have like this grid of auction lots where it's you know whatever 20 by 20 lots and then and then by the way you bid on them but you can't actually you can't actually guarantee that you're going to get contiguous lots so and then by the way they make it difficult to kind of build even in, inside the green line so never mind the politics outside the green line to build like off the grid so you can't you have to you have your house attached to the grid you can't and then if you want to have a kind of house, you have to have a working farm. And I guess the working farm definition is 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 loose enough. Old. Some, it's
0: um, also outdated.
1: Well, all of this is what I'm getting at, which is to say that you mm-hmm. have this basically highly socialized socialist mechanism of land management, which mm-hmm. I guess I guess is defensible if you're planning for the next thousand years, right? You want to sort of make sure you do it slowly and carefully so that you know big families don't gobble up all the land, and I, and I understand that. You want to preserve it for a few generations and so forth. But it seems to me that, that you would have a lot of very valuable investment and also um, eco-friendly investment and water-friendly investment if you loosen some of these rules, whether or not they're on the seaside or in the hills or the Carmel or...
0: Dude, you're like preaching in the choir, man. It is but, unreal. Well so, by the so way you're the only other this. person I know that I speak to at least an American that most Israelis don't know this that 90 93% is owned by the Israel Land Authority or call that it's it's state owned and and that's the whole reason there's a supply limitation because it's state owned there's regulation and a lot of the pricing is like the you know the Israeli EPA and all of that You make it so difficult to build so and difficult. Then there are other things that are unique to Israel that they make it now like earthquake resistant and you have to have um, a bomb shelter with all new buildings, which is I think was a good regulation. So that does make it a little more expensive for regular housing, but that still doesn't. It should still there's be also, half there's the price. Also some
1: there's also some sort of discussion of the cost of materials and labor. And and to be sure that'll factor in as well. But but if if the government if, the, if you just can't do it, if you're just not allowed buy a plot then that's gonna be, you know, probably 80% of the cost. And it just seems that after you know Enough years post forty eight, there might be there might be room for some reasonable beginning of land reform because, I, I you know how many people do you does Israel depend on for donations, mm-hmm. would 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 be delighted to have beautiful cultivated gardens and vineyards and homes and and places and developments in Israel in parts of Israel that are that are still you know kind of like rocky and scrapply. You could turn them into beautiful places and so there's a there's also the kind of the farming lobby is pretty strong in israel i understand so anyway like this is this is no, no doubtedly undoubtedly beyond my pay grade but i i i was just puzzled by how hard they made it to 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 spend more money and more time in israel
0: <laughs> so, so you know. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story i um uh, several years ago more than several was like 10 years ago um I reached out. I spoke to the CEO of JNF, which is now a client, uh, Russell Robinson, great guy. And I suggested that why isn't there Boca Raton in Israel? Like, why are so many Jews going from, right? I'm from the East Coast, I'm from Philly. Why are so many of them like moving to Florida? Why can't we make something similar in Israel? And so I made a business plan with him, 18 pages. And then he was like, okay, now go get funding. I was like, we're going to get funding. I was like, 24, you know? I was like, get funding. I have a college debt up to here. Uh, I don't know nobody. And uh, it's fascinating because they have the land and they could do it. And I came up with a great business plan for revenue, naming roads after donors and the whole thing. But in the end, it's just um, the government seems to really get in the way of itself.
1: There's some of that. that. And and whether it's Boca or whatever it is, you go to Cesario where a lot of these fancy houses are. That's right next door to me.
0: You're you're near
1: the beach. Mm-hmm. but you're not at the beach. You're like sitting in a pool and you're like a hundred meters from the beach and like you can't see the beach. It's weird. And
0: I'm right near Kesaria. We share a train. I'm in Pardes Khana, yeah. And people are like, first of all, the, the majority of houses in Pardes Khana are not owner occupied. So it's actually fascinating. They're actually rented long-term rentals. Second, I tell people, why would I live there? There, there isn't a real community because many of them aren't owner occupied. I'm a five minute extra drive from the beach to the golf course, all that. 98% of houses, 95% of houses at Kesaria, they still need to drive to the beach. That's, it's weird. And, so you know, I'll just I'll just drive an extra yeah, six weird. minutes and, and I don't pay here. the property tax yeah. and I have better culture and better community where I'm at. Yeah. And so why would I? And that's why people aren't moving there. So, But you definitely get the beach vibe town, even no matter how inland you are with Kesaria It is nice. Uh, we'll we'll I want to talk about your book in a minute, but this is an interesting question related to something that you said that I think is related to a lot of my audience. Uh, Ray, right, so you're talking about if you only got Israeli customers, that's not enough to invest in, legit. Right. So if you've only got Israeli customers and no one, no, no American customer wants to work with someone, Oh yeah. Who are you working with? And it's just, you know, small, you know, local Israeli companies, how do they branch out? How do they overcome that? Let's say that catch 22 challenge, so to speak, to get their first, let's say American, uh, you know, American, uh, American client or even enterprise, ideally for a small startup.
1: So the question that's been put is, and thank you for asking. Hi, Michael, you mentioned before, you don't usually invest in Israeli startups working only with Israeli customers. By the way, I never invest in startups that, <laughs> I hope I never invest in startups that, that are only working with Israeli customers. Uh, what I said was, I prefer not to invest in a company that has even one Israeli customer. Um, but so, the question is, how do you suggest a small startup reach its first US customers? So, so let me answer in a very uh jewish way i think which is that's the
0: best answer you're answering with another question
1: that's both a very good question and a really really bad question so let me start with why it's a good question it's a good question because it's important how do you do it it's a bad question because if if you can't do it then you're in the wrong business um so here here let me answer it now more seriously um probably every successful Israeli startup you've ever heard of has managed to reach U.S. customers quickly. And um, probably most of the Israeli startups that have not been successful have said, oh, this bank and that bank, they're running a startup accelerator program and they're going to work with me and local Israeli banks. And... I was in the army with a guy who now works over there at this kind of company over here in Israel. And so I'm gonna work with him first. We're just gonna run a pilot and and so forth. and we're we're gonna figure it out together. Then we're gonna use that as evidence for the US market. So so unfortunately kind of the the convenience and the familiarity of, we know these people gets you a false positive. It gets you kind of an early pilot or something uh, in Israel, but that leads to nothing, right? It's not really a a proof point for American customers
0: and I don't at all. Oh, you're saying even contrary. You're saying even it might even be a negative, but you're saying to the typical American. Well, market- well, well I, don't,
1: I don't think it's a negative as a proof point, but I do think it's a negative in the sense that the Israeli customer often consume all of your time, energy, and resources for the next six months or 12 months.
0: Ah, got it. Yeah.
1: Um, and it doesn't buy you anything in terms of the proof with U.S. customers. And what so, if you?
0: What if you have like you know Bank Lumi, Bankopolium? So if you're working with these larger, I mean, by Israeli standards, right, the the largest banks in Israel, that's not enough to then maybe go to a medium-sized bank in America or a regional bank. As I, I, I'm choosing banking as I, an example, I,
1: I believe but, that I'm not going to name names, but I believe that. Uh, that kind of move is just will kill your company. I just, I, I think that the, a lot of that might kill them, might kill your company with love. This is my personal private opinion. I'm not.
0: Uh, we want your personal up. private opinion. Yeah, That's I'm why you're here.
1: I like particular companies, but I think um, you could, you know, name the top 50 largest Israeli companies and I would include them probably in this list of whom not to work with if you want your company to be large and successful. And the, the counter examples that they might be able to provide are, are uh probably meaningless in my opinion and, and they can be your your 2000th customer or your 5000th customer but they i think on balance the amount of energy and lift that you need to go get your first u.s customer is going to pay you back ten thousand fold uh, compared to uh israeli customers now by the way there are a lot of israelis now working at american companies in america and they so are you can use
0: that connection. That's, that's yeah, so And so you can have
1: the familiarity if you want to. There are a lot of CISOs and CIOs and CTOs and marketing executives and business executives. Right. And so if that's your familiarity or your network, there's no reason not to start with your network, but it'll just repay you mm-hmm. so much. Um, but that focus, well, I want to,
0: sorry, I want to interrupt, I want to add something to that. So for those who heard what Michael said, which is actually excellent, LinkedIn has a search feature where you can find out what university or school that they Used to attend, so you can search for people that are working at a certain enterprise, a certain in certain locations. Let's say in America, in your industry, their experience, and you can see have they been? Did they go to Israel University? Uh, were they in the IDF? Were they in eighty two hundred? All of this is often people's LinkedIn profile, and then message them directly, and you have a very warm starting point in order, hopefully, to build a relationship with uh, potentially an American client.
1: Yeah, and, and so and so you know. I, I, I think that kind of being really hard-nosed about this and saying we will focus only on U.S. customers, unless there's some specific reason you need to be in in U.K. or Germany, those are going to be very strong exception cases, for example. But being really, really focused uh, and not making any excuses to take the easy path to Israeli customers, I think is going to increase the chance of the average startup, is my opinion, will probably increase the chance of the average startup to succeed by many, many, many fold. And there's kind of no way around it. Got it. So you know, if, it. if
0: someone wanted their first customer an Israeli startup, okay, we're ready to go to market, ready to go to customer. Do you recommend them not try out first on an Israeli client at all? Correct. I mean, you should try and go to sell to America. Correct. Without even having and if, a and an, Israeli, and an Israeli
1: customer, if an Israeli customer is banging down your door, begging to be your customer, I would still say no.
0: Fascinating, because they'll eat up your time. They'll give you some because, false positives because on about average, your product. They'll
1: not pay you enough. It, on average, it will eat up your time. On average, their demands will be too high. And on average, it will buy you nothing in terms of credibility with larger US customers later, on average. That's my that general.
0: A, that's an insane generalized amount of value. Advice. That's also,
1: awesome. my generalized opinion. That's,
0: that's general great. Opinion. That's great advice. That's really because you people don't think about it. They think they're building a client and they're learning but it's gonna weigh them down, not pay them enough. They're gonna burn through more cash um, and they're gonna to try to do things to adapt to an Israeli client, which is not how you adapt to uh, yeah, an American. And, I,
1: and I, can't, I can't sitting right here right now, I can't think of a single exception to that point of view in my experience. Not a single exception.
0: So how does, right. So you were saying try to work whatever network you have, whether it's through your, your investors, like I said, through LinkedIn search, whatever connections you might have, just try to get the... connection that's really that's really fascinating that's by the way uh,
1: and by the way it's it. it, this is basic talkless about how to do a startup right and so it's like asking the question and this is why this is why it was not a good question it was a good question for some reasons and surfaced a lot of opinion my at least my opinion but the reason it's not a good question is that it's like it's so basic mamash talkless basic stuff it's like asking how do i hire an engineer i mean it's that basic if you can't do it, go do something
0: else. Awesome! Wow! Fascinating! All right, so uh, you're you're this great book called Hipset, right? And yeah, Thank you. Love it. Do you have it? Perfect. Lovely. Okay, so Thank I put you. the I put it in the chat uh, fifteen Thank minutes you. ago, but we kept getting oh, can I, all topping.
1: I want to do a reveal of the cloth cover underneath, which you may not have seen yet.
0: No, wait, 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 wait more beautiful! I love it.
1: Right, I love and it. It's got the Magendavid right there in silver. On beautiful. The
0: end. I love it. Okay. So before we we went live, I was talking about how the fact that um, I don't read any fiction. Um, and I was thinking about how I need to read some fiction. And if I'm ever interested in fiction, it has to have like, like learning things like philosophical, right? So like, you know, like Ayn Rand, or you know, the richest man in Babylon, or, you know, something that that's just how my brain is. I read a lot of nonfiction. And fiction honestly bores me but I haven't read any in a while yeah. and I was looking for it. Yeah. so I'm, I'm excited for when this uh, gets delivered and I can read it now yeah. this takes place in Tel Aviv and um, I don't want I want you to yeah. first tell us about it and then I have some questions okay. I don't want I don't want to
1: mislead you I well, thank you you all I'm, I'm very I'm very glad you're asking and thanks to everybody so this is my other life. I'm, in my other my other life I'm a writer and um, this is my newest book it's what I'm promoting today I'm promoting this book hipset and it takes place in Tel Aviv. It is an act of Zionism, this book. And I want to tell you just a couple things about it because I think uh, you'll enjoy it. It's not yet translated into Hebrew, though I hope that's a project for next year maybe. So it's a it's a noir novel. So noir is spelled N-O-I-R. And some of the people in the audience will be familiar with uh, Humphrey Bogart, right? uh, Raymond Chandler, uh, Maltese Falcon kinds of stories from the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Noir is, in my opinion, one of the three great American art forms. You got the Western movie, you got jazz and its progeny, and you got noir. Other people will agree or disagree with my list of three, but that's my list of three. And noir is a kind of uh, genre. It's a genre that requires an atmosphere that's very special and very specific. You need a city. It needs to take place in a city that is undergoing a lot of change with a lot of socioeconomic diversity and rapid change that results in political political tension, economic tension, social tension, and that leads to murder somehow. The, the lowest of the low, the underworld, and the highest of the high, the political superstructure of the city and so forth all come together in this hard boil, and then something takes place, and the detective is, Usually, a man, it's usually a man apart. So someone who's untouchable in terms of romance, in terms of social availability, he's a loner, and he travels. I like that man
0: a little bit away.
1: Well, yeah, or Humphrey Bogart, and and uh, he's just not available to you. He's gonna, he's, he's unimpeachable. He's incorruptible. And this is why this mood of this city is is, is 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 as a requirement for noir. Is why Los Angeles and San Francisco were perfect places for this 60 years ago, and um, and now. When you look around the world, I can think of no better place than Tel Aviv as a beautiful setting for a noir because you have so much eruptive change and so much disruptive change and so many things coming, so many languages coming together and cultures clashing together. And I wanted to write a book. I was there on a on a VC trip and I was on the Tayelet with my toes in the sand at the, at the you know at the at one of the beach bars there near uh Burishow Beach. And um, and uh, I said, gee, I want to write a book, and I want to write a book, and I want to set it here in Tel Aviv. And so uh, I love Noir, and and I wanted to write a book. This is important for our audience today, I think. I wanted to write a book that took and treated Israel as a real place. So what does that mean? Israel, I just had an, an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post uh, recently on this topic. Israel is is discussed in many ways. Uh, that's not true. Israel is discussed a couple of ways globally. One is that it's a high-tech place, startup nation and the other it's a place where there's something called the conflict capital t capital c right with palestinians or with arabs whatever way we might define them or the press might define them that moment and of course israel is a real place it's a real, real israel is a real place where people have lives where they have economic struggles and it's not a place that in any way should be defined or is defined by the capital t capital c the conflict right so the at the same time, Israel is a place of immigrants, it's a place of, of refugees and Jews are are wandering Jews, finally with a place, a homeland, as a place of refugees. And I I set this novel in Tel Aviv in the Sudanese refugee community. And I think your audience, which will probably have some legally trained people will find this interesting in a second. I set this in the Sudanese refugee community and, and you guys will be familiar with the idea that there are Probably now about a thousand. There used to be about two thousand Sudanese refugees who escaped, generally Islamic um, terror in North and South Sudan, from South Sudan, who made their way across Northern Africa and into Israel as a place they were looking for economic and and uh, and and uh, uh, personal refuge. And Israel became a wealthy country in the last twenty years, and is a place where you might want to be as a refugee <laughs> uh, looking for economic refuge. And Israel's um, surus, its discussion internally about the Sudanese refugee challenge, problem, question, uh, event, phenomenon is, I think, uh, a superb lens and way into uh, the real life of Israel and the things that go on in the minds of Jews and Israelis around the world that are not just about the conflict. One of the things that Turn me on to this particular topic, and this is, I think, where uh, some of your legally trained—I think 70% of your audience is probably legally trained, even though they're all marketers. <laughs> um, uh, you know, well, when some of your legally trained audience will find this interesting. When Israel was born, of course, there was a legal technology that was created to allow for a right of return of Jews, and also there was. A legal technology that cognized the local jews who were there before the modern state of israel existed and then there were a bunch of laws regulations and procedures for either israeli arabs or displaced person palestinians and so forth there was basically no other immigration technology created at the time there was no other legal regime created at the time because nobody else wanted to go to israel who wanted to move to israel who's not a jewish refugee or someone who was Uh, uh, wanting to return or go there as an Israeli Arab or as a Palestinian or Jerusalemite and so forth. So when the Sudanese refugees showed up about 15 years ago, plus minus, there was no legal way to cognize them. They had no status. There was no way to actually process them. So here we have a country of lawyers who are very familiar with being displaced and very familiar with being displaced for religious reasons. Who did not know what to do with a group of people who had trekked 4,000 kilometers, wherever it was, circuitously across desert at peril of life and limb to arrive in Israel to live? And so, you know, local Holocaust survivors were saying, you know, yes, I want them here, or no, I don't want them in my neighborhood. And the government said, we don't know what to do. <laughs> And so on and so on. And South Tel Aviv became a place that you'd look around the corner and say, "Where am I?" you know which, which part?" Yeah. Of, you know. so it's a it's a police procedural story. Our narrator is uh, a, an African guy who's lived in Israel for twenty years who got there before the wave of Sudanese refugees. it's uh, It's definitely a love poem to Tel Aviv. this you will if you know Tel Aviv or like Tel Aviv, you will see that corner or that place or that street or that smell depicted in the book. And uh, and it's very very important that we depict Israel as a real place. And the final thought on this is this: set aside Israeli authors because it's a whole other topic. If you look at American authors who write about Israel, there are basically basically two buckets of literature that they write that takes place in Israel. The first is biblical literature that takes place in Israel. So th- the story of this book of the Bible told through the eyes of this woman or that brother or this uncle instead of the or or retold through the eyes of the heroine or hero of the particular pasuk. Okay, biblical stories, biblical era stories. That's bucket one. Very good books, by the way. Many of them, some of them not, but many of them are very good. The second book are a uh, second category are books that took place in what you might call the heroic era of Israel. So 1948 plus minus to kind of the Yom Kippur War plus minus when. Israel was known throughout the world as accomplishing impossible thing after impossible thing, miracle after miracle, to breathe life into the country and to make the desert bloom. And sometimes since the Yom Kippur War, Israel has become more of a fact. Now, you can argue whether it's really a fact because there are some nuclear lunatics out there in the neighborhood, and it's a jungle neighborhood, and we know that. But Israel is more of a fact, and Israel is now suddenly more wealthy. Thank God, Israel is suddenly more of a world power. Thank God, and it's more perhaps I don't want to say inevitable, but it feels a little bit more inevitable than it did in 1955, to be sure, right? Mm -hmm. And so the literature by Americans has stopped at the Yom Kippur War. It's now it's like you know, should Israel exist, kind of stuff, or how did how does this family from across the green line deal with this family from the you know Romeo and Juliet kinds of stories? But what a miss. What a miss, in my opinion. It is time for a new literature, I hope written by Americans, including this American with this book, that takes place in Israel, that understands Israel to be a real place where there are real people, some of whom are nice people, some of whom are not nice people, some of whom are Meshuganah people, some of whom are ethical people, some of whom are crooks. And that shows the face of Israel to the world. And the great news about this book, the thing I'm proudest of so far, is that the first group of readers, the book launched in the UK, and the first group of readers were largely women. Women uh, read more than men, uh, in fiction anyway, these days. And thank God for the women readers that we all rely on them as writers. But were largely women, I think almost all women, English speakers across continental Europe, almost none of whom had ever been to, uh, to Israel. And probably, I assume, I don't know, almost none of whom were Jewish. And what they loved about the book was that there was a postcard from Tel Aviv, from Israel, that made them want to visit Israel. That's not cool. And it allowed them to see Israel as a place that was real and not defined by the what media he said 10 minutes ago.
0: Right, right, okay. right. Or even worse, Twitter.
1: Or I mean, forget forget Twitter. I mean, Twitter. My God, right? <laughs> Oh my goodness. So so yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter. So here's a here's a real book for a real place. And I hope that, and by the way, I'm I'm very glad to say that my Israeli friends have read it. Either as a favor to me, or because they wanted to, um, and have loved it as well. It's a—it's not a long book. Uh, it is—it um, is a book that will make you feel great about Israel, but also make you feel great about Israel because it treats Israel as a real place with real humans.
0: Right. It sounds like a, like a, a beach story. read, no?
1: And its and it's a murder mystery, and <laughs> you got a solution. what you say? There you go.
0: It uh, sounds kind of like a great beach read, would you say?
1: It could be a beach read. It could be a beach read. Yeah, I, I, I'm not offended by a beach read. I think. Um,
0: no, I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I mean that as a high compliment. Actually. No, it's
1: okay. No, it's okay. I I understand. What it's, it's it it does not require it does not require the kind of attention you would need for a technical white paper, for example, for Bitcoin. Got it.
0: Right. So it doesn't require that
1: kind of attention. When, when I, I was, was reading
0: uh, Daniel Condon Thinking Fast and Slow, and I'm like, holy crap! <laughs> this is way too much brain power. It's not enjoyable.
1: Oh, okay. No, no, um, yeah. This is more of a serious book like that in that sense. So, 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 yeah. So, I, I, guess, I guess that. So, um, the one thing that's that really should be true about a noir novel is that it's atmospheric. It should be mood, and you should want to, you should want to, you should want to read it. So it can be. You can, in that sense. You'll, it's perhaps more of an evening read than a morning break, breakfast Ah, uh, break,
0: okay, right? all right. So that's it. I mean, so I'll have to put down you, my cell phone in the evening, you know, usually. <laughs> it's, bring right, right. I am. it's
1: probably better than looking at Twitter in the evening, right? Like, right. Uh, yeah, so okay, definitely a, gonna be an upgrade. That's for a low evening, bar, but
0: it, yeah, it's probably better when it at when arrives. arrives. Um, and, uh, you know, it's actually fascinating because I told you, you know, I, I just, aren't, I have a side hobby, I don't really tell people, you know, but m- the YouTube channel I started, Israel Unfiltered was because everyone talks about Israel through either Um, a religious lens or a political lens, and I can't stand that. And I'm really into the culture and the individuals and the people and the personalities and, and you, you know, the the Nobel prizes and and the the, the technology and just the amazing things that are going on here. And it's just gets neglected in the music scene. And so uh, I, and it's, and in my opinion, of course, I'm biased, but of course I'm right. Um, that is probably the most interesting culture uh, but by far, and it is has the most nationalities per capita. It's not even close. I mean, America is a distant second, and there isn't even a third place for uh, regarding immigration by nationalities, uh, different nationalities per capita. is such a melting pot here. It's unbelievable that the different cultures that are that are created, and then subcultures, and then each generation has its own culture and subculture, and it's really fascinating. And I think that's there's a lot to learn and a lot of stories that are not told. And I'd love that you're actually highlighting that in your book. And that is glad tangible. Thank
1: you. I'm glad you said that. And by the way, there is a connection between tech and, and this book in the sense that tech is not some kind of politicized Jewish export of Israel, right? Mm-hmm. It is a commercial universal export of Israel, right? So if you're, if you're a, a, a cyber customer in India or in the United States or in Mexico, you're not getting Jewish cyber protection. You're getting cyber protection that's made by an Israeli company, and in that sense, Israel is a real place that's not highly defined by a religion or political dispute. And and dare I say, and maybe I'm saying a little too much, for 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 better and for perhaps for worse, um, so much of Israeli literature now coming from Israeli auth- authors is sort of the arts are always a little bit left that's sort of the nature of things but there's a kind of almost self-flagellating leftism in some of the arts coming out of israel where it's like you know how much worse could it's, you're seeing this in america right. too this kind of left sort of uh, uh so sort of it's very being. radical it's who can yeah. be more radical
0: and, and it, it's to get it's the click
1: like, let, let's you know it's like a mission of the literature is to focus the eyes of the world exactly on the conflict and th- there's room for that uh, there's room for that in literature no no doubt there's room for that in literature but there's so much more to tell right and it's it's like saying you know what we're going to go to an italian restaurant and the only thing that's offered the italian restaurant is bruschetta right. that's bruschetta. it you can only get bruschetta ever right be, uh, right the menu looks right. like it's got a thousand items but you're only ever allowed to eat bruschetta right, right? And right. i think that's the problem that's coming out. if they imagine in- if
0: chicago's only talked about their crime only for new york <laughs> there's no city right that's there's all no we're going to talk about is the murder rate which is insane.
1: right there's no city
0: right chicago's there's got a no, lot right. going there's on
1: no university system right there's that's no, no culture there's none this, of that. You, right. you talked about just to leave you on the thought because i'm trying this out on my israeli audiences now you talked about a book rito tone for israel i wonder what would happen if it would be good for israel to have more than idc but like let's say beersheba did a proper four-year degree in english And that if you were a a person from around the world, maybe a Jewish American, but maybe a Chinese person with no religious affiliation associated with with Israel, you could do a four-year great degree as an undergraduate in Israel. Would that be one of the best things that Israel could do for itself to have graduates, college graduates who might stay in Israel or who might go back with positive impressions and experiences and ties to Israel instead of kind of like, you know, four-year degrees only in Hebrew or kind of. Beginning of one in IDC. I, I'm right.
0: About Tel Aviv, U, Hebrew, you. So I did an international MBA in English. It was like a year and a half at Bar Ilan, and Tel Aviv also has one. Tel Aviv University. And there's an MD so program. Have... There's
1: a there's a medical program too, but I'm talking about an undergraduate
0: degree. Right. So that people can go there. Right, and it's not just like an international year, but a full three to four years. You're saying.
1: Yeah. By the way, if you're an American parent right now and you're looking at the sort of Wokistan politics of top American colleges.
0: It is terrible, dude. Would you consider consider a very good
1: four-year degree program at Ben-Gurion? I mean. Right. I mean, in
0: general, I don't recommend college with the exception of STEM and even then some, to be honest. And I have an MBA and I studied at Temple University, magna cum laude and double major and all that. I studied finance and all that, but it's just, it was so bad then. And when did I graduate? 2008. Uh, I graduated from Temple University for my undergrad. And it is, um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't. I try to actively encourage people not to go to university, not because it's a breeding ground for bigotry, racism, and anti Semitism, Um, but in addition to, you don't learn anything that's practical. What's, What's right now, whatever's relevant now is not, let's say you're learning marketing, it's just, it's not relevant. What you learned in your freshman year, come junior year, isn't even relevant anymore. As an example, as a digital marketer, I'm, hear,
1: I'm hearing this objection more and more often. I don't share it. I don't share it. I confess, but I do hear smart people make this objection. I do think there's room for um, kind of little l, little a, liberal arts uh, educations. I, I think there's value in it unto itself. I
0: agree with that, right?
1: Um, but but I do hear your objection. I hear it also from others. Um, However, I will say, wouldn't it be great if some of the best and brightest had an, a top Israeli institution as an option for their undergraduate? And um, I don't. Know, I that's my pitch, and maybe your audience will think about it. I.
0: I, uh, I like that because we're we're uh, we're so, like I think that and James Altucher calls it idea sex. Were you are you familiar with that phrase? Like I'm not, no, no. Do you know what James Altucher? Is I, uh, I, I I'm sorry, I
1: should, but I don't.
0: Okay. I don't know if you should or shouldn't, but uh, he, he's great. He's an American. He's in Florida now. He left New York. He actually was being the media. He wrote this big uh, piece of thing in the New York Times, or the Wall Street Journal, how New York isn't going to rebound. And like Jerry Seinfeld and all these New Yorkers like responded. But he's a big uh, tech and business guy. He's got a great podcast for business and entrepreneurship. Uh, he's a Jewish guy with crazy curly hair. Uh, and he says called called Sex, where like you take this idea. So my idea was like, all right, maybe a retirement community. And then you had yours. Well, what about education? And then maybe someone can put together like a retirement and education and a package for families that want to retire and have kids entering college, maybe something to come together and someone will maybe take these ideas, well, add their respect, they will it. And then we don't even know it. We're going to find out someone actioned something. And it was because, and we played a part, right? We played a part. You don't even know. Just by these conversations that we're well, having.
1: I I'm very happy for someone else to do it and take all the credit in the world for it. I yeah, I yes, think me it'd be too. good. You... I do think it'd be good for Israel. I think it'd be good for the world. I think it'd be great for the Jews. It'd be great for all the non-Jews who go there. Imagine having like two hundred amazing top level Chinese undergraduates, uh, you know, per year uh living in Israel and and, and what that would do for uh, China and and China as well. and, and then Americans, 200 top Americans going there, and then U.S. China, like, I mean, I, you know, it's what an amazing thought. Listen, we have to stop, Yul. We're we're having such a good time, but we're over. I know, time. right? And,
0: and it always takes a while to break in. And I think, I think it's because we should have talked about your book in the beginning. That would have been more oh, interesting. No, I no, definitely wanted to get to We had, to we had a good
1: thing. conversation, and I'm very glad that we had these great questions from your audience, and, uh, and I hope that, I hope they can find me on LinkedIn whether they're watching live or later. And Yoel, I wish you the greatest of success with your uh, ingenious and innovative uh, podcast and video cast and broadcast and LinkedIn Live and YouTube channel. Uh, I think it's gonna be a great success, I'm sure of it.
0: Thank you, Michael. Um, Michael's book, um, You Can Find a Hip Set, I put it in the comments. Um, and just also when this is uploaded to YouTube, we'll make sure to include it in the comments then. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Yisrael. Hi. Yeah, I'm in.